This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I'm Leanne Castellino. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region. Well, we certainly live in interesting times as parents, but so too when it comes to the theme of today's show. That is generations. In fact, we're living in historic times when it comes to the number of different generations in today's world. To help us unpack the topic, we are joined by a professor of psychology at San Diego State University. Dr. Jean Twenge is also the author of more than 180 scientific articles and seven books during her more than 30-year career. Her latest book is called Generations, The Real Differences Between Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, Boomers, and the Silence, and What They Mean for America's Future. Dr. Twenge is also a mother of three, and she joins us today from San Diego. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. There are currently six generations coexisting, a first in the history of the world. Why would you say this fact is significant? Well, partially because we have so much misunderstanding across generations right now. And that is because mostly because technological change has really sped up. So that's why we have so many generations because people live longer and the space of generations has grown shorter because of the technological changes. It also means you know, generations communicate in totally different ways. There are very few members of the silent generation or boomers who are on TikTok, and that's where Gen Z lives, for example. Absolutely. Now, you have been researching this topic, as we mentioned, for well over three decades. And I wonder, what has struck you most over that span of time in this area of study? Well, there's there's been so many things. So when, you know, when I was working on Generations on the new book, you know, I was really struck by the broad impact of technology because that had come up again and again, you know, as I researched generational differences, um, particularly with Gen Z and how the smartphone really changed the lives of um, teens in particular, how they started spending so much more time online and less time with their friends in person, and then how that coincided with a mental health crisis. So that was something I worked on um, with my book, iGen, that came out six years ago. And then I was realizing now, you know, technology isn't just smartphones and it's not just computers and it's not just social media. It's everything. It's washing machines and better medical care and faster transportation. And you think about how much the world has changed in the last 200 years or even 50 years or even 20 years. And I realized that's the basic route. That is the most important thing in creating generational differences is how technology has really changed how we live. So building on that point then, what key criteria from each generation do you believe ultimately defines that generation? So I take a little bit of a different approach than most folks who look at generations because it's very common to find online, uh, I'll say a list of events that shaped each generation. And you know, sure, those 
major events like wars and pandemics have an effect, but not as much as the changes in technology because those changes in technology really affect day-to-day lives. So um, I am just not as much of a proponent of saying, you know, here's the characteristics of each generation because things change literally, you know, in a linear way, you know, over time. Um, So, for example, individualism, more focus on the self has impacted boomers. It also impacted Gen X, millennials and Gen Z just in different ways. So I don't usually do as much uh, as a lot of people do of those specific characteristics of each generation. Let's talk more about technology. What would you say are some of the areas of technology along generational lines when it comes to raising kids that you believe parents really need to be aware of as it relates to a specific generation? One thing we should uh, establish is that kids who are in, say, middle school and up um, are Gen Z, but those born about 2013 and later, probably, we don't know exactly yet, but are probably going to be the next generation, the post-Gen Z generation. Some people call them Gen Alpha. I call them polars after melting polar ice caps and political polarization, two things very prominent right now, which I think will have a big impact going forward. But I think the concerns for both of those generations are similar, that childhood and adolescence are fundamentally different than they were for Gen Xers, who are usually the parents of teenagers, and then all, but also for millennials, who are usually going to be the parents of the younger kids. That those are two generations that most of the time when you were a kid, you grew up outside and hanging out with your friends in person. Millennials, maybe there would have been some AOL and other things, you know, going on there in adolescence and flip phones and things like that. But for the most part, it was childhood and adolescence, adolescence spent in the real world with other people face to face. And that's really not as true anymore. So that's one of the biggest challenges in parenting right now is trying to figure out, well, how much screen time is too much? How much do I have to worry about that? And what can I do to try to help my kids be healthier physically and mentally? And so, yeah, I do have three kids myself. They're 17, 14, and 11. And so, you know, this is my lived experience in my family as well as something I research. And I, I, I think that's what we have to do to try to find a balance with technology that it's true. We're not going to go back to 1985 or 1995, but we also can't just give up and say, Hey, you know, kids are going to be on their phones 24 seven and that's fine. Cause it's not fine. We have an adolescent mental health crisis. We have to think about these things. So I have, you know, lots of of, uh, things to think about here, but I think the two most important are this, no phones or devices like tablets in the bedroom overnight for our kids or for us too, actually, it's best to get them out of the bedroom entirely when we're trying to sleep. Tons of studies show that people don't sleep as well when their devices in in their bedrooms, just too tempting to look at them in the middle of the night. But even if they're off, even if they're on do not disturb, they disrupt sleep. So that's my number one suggestion for everybody. And then the second, try to put off everything around technology for as long as possible. Put off getting your kids a smartphone. So get them a flip phone or get them a phone designed for kids 
like a gab phone or a Trumi phone or a pinwheel phone that you can call and text and take pictures. And usually that's it. Um, you know, sometimes you can download optional apps, but there's no internet access and no social media. So in my house, the rule is you don't get a smartphone until you get your driver's license. And how is that going? Going pretty well so far. Yeah. So, um, cause my oldest is 17. So she got her driver's license, uh, about a month after she turned 16 and we actually put it off even longer for her. She actually had a flip phone for a while even after she got her driver's license. But, you know, with the Maps app and other things, it just was increasingly impractical um, for her to just have that flip phone. So she got the smartphone. And I'm really glad that we put it off. Um, and she still doesn't have social media. So that's another thing, you know, try to put that off as long as possible. I think most people don't know that kids aren't supposed to be on social media at all until they're 13. It's actually the law. Um, and it'd be even better to put it off until 16 or even older, because 13 is a terrible age to try to introduce social media. This is Where Parents Talk. I'm Leanne Castellino in conversation with Dr. Jean Twenge, professor of psychology at San Diego State University and author of Generations. For your book, Generations, Dr. Twenge, you looked at some two dozen data sets starting in the 1940s onwards, equaling data on about 39 million people. What was your impetus for examining this amount of data to produce your book? It really was to try to help us all understand each other better. Because when you think about generational differences, there's so much misunderstanding. There's so many myths. There's so many stereotypes. There's so much finger pointing. And it's, it's really counterproductive because Really, we're trying to do whether we're, you know, a manager in the workplace or a parent or a grandparent is just trying to understand the perspective of someone else. So that that really is the goal in, in uh, crunching all of this data and trying to figure out the perspective of different generations, because it's just it's it's very tempting for older people to say, oh, you know, younger people are this way. Well, are they really? Let's try to look at what they say about themselves. And I think it has to go the other way too. I think there is a there's a a, a tendency for, for younger people to say, oh, you know, older people, whatever, you know, that we've moved on. We don't need to know their perspective. Yeah, you do, because there's wisdom in every generation. And it's better if we try to understand where each is coming from. So that was really the goal in the book. It sounds so reasonable as you lay it out that way. But I guess part of the challenge then becomes. How do you bridge those different gaps as we're talking about, you know, six different generations all growing up in, in starkly different times, different circumstances? Is there such a thing as bridging the gap? I think there is. So, you know, that's something I'm very optimistic about, that I think there's absolutely that opportunity for us of all ages, of all generations to learn about each other and understand each other's perspectives. Um, through empathy, through understanding, through listening, um, to just take a step back and realize, you know, this person you're talking to, they grew up in a different time and ask them about what that was like. Even a five minute conversation can really expand your understanding. The workplace represents an interesting dynamic when we talk about generations. What are some common trends that you uncovered relating to generations and the office? When I look at workplace trends, uh, I usually rely on a survey of 18-year-olds. 
And you might say, well, there's not a ton of 18-year-olds in the workplace. Well, they're getting there. Um, and they're, or they'll be there after they go to a few years of college. But the reason I do that is that way we can separate the effects of age from the effects of generation. So if you do a big survey at one time of workers, you're not going to know if the differences you find are due to their age and career stage or are generational. And that's really important because otherwise, if you do that, you won't really know what's actually changed. Maybe young workers are saying this because that's what young workers have always been like. So getting that perspective across the decades is really helpful. And that survey of 18-year-olds goes back to 1976. So it's an amazing resource. So a couple of things show up. So one is that work-life balance has become increasingly important as we transition from boomers to Gen Xers to millennials to Gen Z. So <clears throat> we're really seeing a lot of emphasis on um, you know, not working too many hours, having more of an opportunity to have a life outside of work. Work. That's by far the biggest generational difference when you look um, in that data that goes across decades. Another thing that really shows up is um, Gen Z, compared to previous generations at the same age, is more likely to say they want a job where they can be directly helpful to other people. And that shows up in other survey data as well. Um, say, entering college students, they say an important life goal is to help others who are in difficulty. And that has increased over the last 10 years or so in, in the transition between millennials and Gen Z um, in college students. So I think that's something to be aware of. Um, one other thing I'll mention <clears throat> is that there's a common perception that uh, younger employees really want to make friends at work and really want a job that's interesting. And those have actually calmed down. It's actually the opposite. Um, Gen Z is actually less interested in finding those things at work than previous generations were at 18. So um, it makes sense. Younger generations might be interested in that, but that's probably age and not generation. So those techniques um, might be effective, you know, looking at, the, at those factors, but they are actually a little bit less effective than they were for previous generations. More about generational differences in the workplace and their impact. Also ahead, better understanding Gen Z, a generation that ranges from 11 to 28 years old. More with our guest, Dr. Jean Twenge, author of Generations, in a moment. Stay with us. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back. This is Where Parents Talk. I'm Leanne Castellino, and we're talking about better understanding each of the six generations currently coexisting in our world from zero to 98 years old. Our guest is Dr. Jean Twenge, professor of psychology at San Diego State University, who has spent more than 30 years studying generations. Also happens to be the title of her seventh book. Now, Dr. Twenge, when we talk about various generations working together in an office environment today, is there anything in your research that points to strategies that could support that dynamic? Well, I think understanding some of these differences is obviously, you know, the first step. 
and just realizing that there's just different perspectives, different upbringings, um, that there are some myths and realities about what those generational differences in the workplace really are. Um, and trying to take that perspective of the young employee and what do they want to get out of, of that job. Um, because, you know, the reality is people change jobs more often now, partially because of generational differences, partially because that's just how the workplace has changed, that things turn over faster, that it's not just that employees are less loyal, employers are less loyal, companies are you know, less likely to hang on to people for their whole careers. So that means mentoring is really, really important if you want to keep some of those younger employees around for a longer time and get the benefit of the, the training. Um, and not have them leave after six months. So there's a couple of things. Um, having promotions happen more frequently. So it used to be, you know, in a lot of workplaces, you didn't get a promotion. Nothing would happen after two years or more. And that's difficult for generations that are more used to instant results um, by spending so much of their time online, for example. So some companies have moved to having smaller promotions every six months. And that seems to be a good effective strategy. And, you know, another is just in framing feedback, that there's a lot of discussion around younger generations um, being more sensitive to feedback. So putting it in the frame, my favorite is to put it in the frame of, I want you to be successful. So I'm giving you this feedback because I want you to be successful, not because I want you to fail, but I actually am interested in your doing well. And so I'm going to try to tell you how to do that. So that, that framing can be very helpful when you have to give what would otherwise be considered negative feedback or criticism. Let's talk about parenting and the role that it plays in the behaviors and actions that define each generation, how individuals think, depending on the generation they come from. What does the research say, if anything, about how parenting is impacting within generations? Trying to quantify changes in parenting is really hard. Um, it's easier to quantify, you know, other other types of uh, characteristics and behaviors that that have changed. But we do know a little bit. Um, parenting has certainly become less authoritative and more more open, um, a little bit more permissive. It's much more common now than it was, say, 50 years ago, for parents to say, "Oh, I want, I want to be my child's friend." You know, I want them to know I'm on their side, for us to be more on the same level. And, and that strategy has a lot of advantages. You know, parents and children are emotionally closer with that parenting style. The downside is when your kid of whatever age wants to do something that maybe isn't the best thing. Um, and you do have to be a parent. You do have to step in and realize you're not just your kid's friend, that your child is going to have many friends throughout their lives, but they're only going to have one or two parents. So you do have to be an authority figure. And I think that's a very difficult thing for a lot of Gen Xers and millennials to think, wait, you know, I'm going to be an authority figure. It doesn't come naturally to us, given our upbringing in a time of of individualism where we have just you know flatter leadership structures much more you know much less formality so um i i know i experienced that myself that it really took me some time to to step into that role but realizing that that's often what kids need they need structure they need a parent to um, set up those guardrails to be an authority figure and that doesn't mean that you have to use physical punishment and it doesn't mean that you can't connect with your kids 
but it does mean that you have to realize your job isn't to make your kid happy at every single little moment. Your job is to raise a productive citizen. I once heard someone say, and I thought this was just so insightful, you know, when you're a parent, you're not raising children, you're raising adults, because that's the end goal, to raise a productive adult. Let's drill into that a little bit more. You talked about Gen Z. We're talking about uh, people born between 1995 and 2012, a generation that's never known life without a smartphone. What are some key traits about this generation that would be important in your estimation and in the research you've done for parents to know? Yeah. So one is if you think your kid is on their phone or on social media, a tremendous number of hours a day, you're probably right. There was a Gallup poll that recently found the average adolescent spends almost five hours a day on social media. And that's just social media. It doesn't count texting their friends. Uh, it doesn't count homework or any of the, the other things that, they're, that they might be doing online. It does include YouTube and TikTok. Uh, as well as Instagram and Snapchat and other social media apps, but five hours a day and total screen time by some estimates is nine hours a day. And that's huge. And that means that there's less time for sleeping. Teens don't sleep as much as they used to. They spend a lot less time with their friends in person. So they're growing up, their adolescence really is fundamentally different from what it was like for, for previous generations. And the other aspect of that is sure, there's some advantages to technology, but less sleep, less time with friends in person and a lot more time online is a terrible formula for mental health. And sure enough, we have a huge mental health crisis and it's not due to the pandemic. So teen depression, rates of clinical level depression among U.S. teens doubled between 2011 and 2019, so even before the pandemic. So we can't write it off as saying, oh, it's just a pandemic, and then it's going to get better. It's not getting better. The data from 2021, 2022, which has just started to come out, well, we're coming out of the pandemic, and those teen mental health statistics are not getting better. So I think that is even more evidence that it's probably linked to this change in how teens use their time, that they're spending so much more time online. And so that's why I think parents setting those limits around technology is so important, that it's important for mental health. And I will acknowledge parents are in a very difficult position because social media in particular is so unregulated that they don't verify age, that you don't need parental permission and you can't be hovering over your kid all the time. I understand all of this because um, I live it every day in my own house. But that's one reason to put up the smartphone. When you do give them a smartphone, put parental controls on it so they can't use it in the middle of the night, so they can't download apps without permission. So if you do give them permission to use the social media app, that there's a time limit on it of a half hour, an hour a day, or two hours a day at most, just setting some of those reasonable limits of everything in moderation. And I think that's just, it's so important to understand because sure, yeah, this is the way kids communicate, but that doesn't mean that it should be a free-for-all. We still have to set limits. Any other specific characteristics or peculiarities that you uncovered in the course of the research for generations about specific generations? We talked about Gen Z, but any other generations that really struck you? 
One thing that I'll mention is one of the outcomes of technological change is it often results in what's called a slow life strategy. So what that means is when people live longer, when life expectancy is higher, that parents tend to make the choice to have fewer children and nurture them more carefully. And because lives are lasting longer, development slows at every single stage. And I think this is so important to understand, you know, no matter what age your kids are, to realize it's not just you and it's not just a peculiarity of, of their particular generation, that over the last few generations, that that life cycle has slowed for everybody. So children are less independent. Teens are, are taking longer to do things like get a driver's license or work at a paid job or go out on dates or drink alcohol. Young adults take longer to get married and have children and settle into careers. And middle-aged people look and feel younger than their parents or grandparents did at the same age. So 50 is the new 40, 60 is the new 50. You know, all of these things are related. And I think that hasn't always been recognized. It's often been this idea of, um, oh, you know, millennials, they're just taking forever to, to, to be adults. You know, they, they don't want to adult. Um, and then with teens, like what's wrong with Gen Z that they don't want to get their, their driver's license. This is something that's affecting all generations. It's much broader than just one generation. You know, they didn't, Gen Z didn't wake up one day and say, Hey, you know, I don't think it's important to get my driver's license. You know, this has been, this is a trend that's been going on for a while across all of these generations. And I think that's so helpful for trying to understand the broader trends and realize that it's not just unique to your kid or even your kid's generation that if they're taking longer to do those things, they're in good company. Dr. Twangate, what would you like readers of Generations to take away from your book? I think the most important thing is really that piece around perspective taking and empathy and understanding. And beyond that, it's just recognizing how much technology has changed our lives and not not all bad. I mean, not all those changes are bad. Most of them are good. That we have to realize, you know, think about living now. There's a lot of negativity right now, I think, you know, um, around politics and, um, uh, you know, for good reason around things like climate change. But there's so many good things about living right now. And most of them are due to technology that we have better medical care. So we do live longer and we're not, we don't have as many people of all ages, you know, dying from things that are now completely preventable. Infant mortality and child mortality used to be so much higher than it was now. And it's incredible how much progress that we have made. We still need to make more. We've made so much progress. And then how technology and labor-saving devices have given us back so much time. So I got kind of obsessed with washing machines <laughs> when I was writing this book, uh, maybe particularly as a woman, of thinking how much time it used to take. It used to take basically the whole day of a whole group of women working together, you know, boiling water over an open fire and using, you know, very harsh soaps that were bad on the skin and just, and it took so much time. And now how do we do laundry? We throw it in the washing machine and then go do something else and then switch it to the dryer, right? So it, it's really incredible that and... Um, grocery stores and ovens, just all of these things that have saved us so much time in our everyday living. 
know, but here's the question and here I think is the takeaway. What are we going to do with that time that we've been given back by technology? Are we going to use it to enjoy each other or enjoy the world around us and enjoy nature and get exercise and read a good book? Or are we going to use it watching TikTok videos? And mostly we've done the latter. But I think that's what we have to think about is, is that really the best way to use the time that labor-saving devices and better medical care have given us? Probably not. Certainly powerful food for thought. Dr. Jean Twange, professor of psychology and author of Generations, we so appreciate your time and your perspective today. Thanks so much. Remember, you can watch the full video interview with each of our guests at whereparentstalk.com. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.